When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Draft Sickos. I'm your host, Maxwell Baumbach. And as of this point in time, I am without a guest this evening. We had some things pop up last minute. Um, hoping to get either uh, a fellow fellow draft Twitter uh, friend or someone from the No Things crew to hop on last second. Uh, so bear with me. In the meantime, if you are listening live, feel free to fill up that YouTube chat. Feel free to ask questions on Twitter. Whatever we get, I will be addressing it throughout the show um in the meantime i want to remind you as always to subscribe to the no ceilings nba podcast feed if you're not already subscribed to our youtube channel i'd also encourage all of you uh to up oh, sorry we got some comments in the chat dirty dancer immediately noting that the list of players we've got to talk tonight uh, about tonight stefan castle kalel Ware, kwame evans deron holmes it's funny i don't like the athleticism of any of the prospects in the title it's funny you mention it. We'll we'll get to that uh, as we go through each of those players. Uh, but make sure you subscribe to No Ceilings uh, everywhere that you possibly can be and support our work. This past week, I dropped a, uh, an article for No Ceilings Plus. We'll talk about that a little bit. But let's open it up and talk about winners of the week. Stefan Castle, big, big game the other day. Uh, one of those guys that was starting to scare me a little bit, was starting to feel a little bit trickier uh, as far as evaluating him. I've always liked it with Castle. He's a guy that feels like a winner. Every single game, he's finding a multitude of ways to leave his fingerprints on the game, impact the game, and, and make a difference. Uh, however, the three-point shooting uh, has been a consistent concern throughout the season, uh, both in terms of the ball going in the basket, uh, but also just the amount of attempts that, that he's been taking. Um, he, he's been a little bit better on that front. So games this week, he had two 20-point games. Against Providence, he's 7 for 14 from the field and 2 for 4 from 3. And then against St. John's yesterday, 21 points and 2 for 2 from 3. One of those was an NBA range 3. Um, teams are going to continue to give him space, but responding like that, uh, and just showing, hey, I'm going to take it if you give me that room, and then being able to knock him down is encouraging. So Castle is now up to 32.3% from three. The volume is still very low. He's taking under two a game. 
Uh, but uh, he is doing better in that regard as far as making the shots. Uh, Dirty Dancer in the chat brings up, I wonder if there's data for how often a player's shot gets blocked. That's actually a great question. Uh, and Synergy has some of that data. So I'm actually going to go into that right now um, under the cumulative box tab on Synergy. So if we look at, let's see here, field goal attempts blocked against, and I don't quite know how this breaks down, but he's at a 0.9, which means that he has been blocked uh, more frequently than any other player on UConn. He's had a shot blocked 11 times this season, which is quite a bit. Tristan Newton's at 14, uh, and then Castle's right behind him at 11. It's not a number that I've charted in the past as far as data, uh, but it does seem high, and it is something that he runs to around the basket. But I will say I love that Stefan Castle's always active around the basket. He was active on the offensive glass the other day. Averaging almost one, you know, almost two offensive rebounds a game. Stellar mark for a guard. Um, with Castle, there's a lot of stuff that's not going to be a question, right? There's there's a defense. He's going to bring intensity. He's going to hustle. Um, you know, gets up uh, around the rim on that end of the floor too. Floats for ejections. Gets up well off two feet. Has those health instincts around the rim. Good ground coverage. Good feet. Tough to shake off you. Um, recovers well. The offense is where I think it's it's an interesting evaluation because yes, he knows how to pass. Uh, yes, he has the toughness to fight to his spots and fight downhill. Uh, but the shot is a question. And I think what I want to dig into here today are just past prospects that were at a similar point as shooters. So I looked at just guys that I kind of classified as guards uh, that were both under 30% from three and then low volume uh, from the three-point line. Also at about four and a half attempts from three per game. Uh, there's only two other guys that really fit that bill while they were in college. Uh, it was De'Aaron Fox and De'Anthony Melton that were both sub 33% and uh, below that volume. I guess Gary Payton the second is too. Uh, he's kind of a guy that took a long time to figure that out. Now, each of those guys um, did improve as shooters. So if you were going to say, you know, I've seen Castle start to fall pretty significantly down some boards where he's like, in the you know almost the 20s in that range i think you got to be a little bit more optimistic than that with these guys that have a good level of feel and this is something we'll talk about in a little bit more depth later on in the podcast about kwame evans guys that have the feel the body the instincts the defense and kind of just have to focus on their shot more than anything else are the guys that tend to figure out the shot uh so i'm i'm optimistic i think that he can at the very least be a decent three-point shooter and i think with all the other things that he does on the court that's all he's going to need to be i still have castle in my top 10 uh we just submitted boards today i've got him around i believe somewhere in that five to seven range off the top of my head that's terrible that i just filled that out moments ago and don't remember but uh he is a guy that is like firm top 10 for me i, th I think the shot gets to a respectable level with him it does need reworking uh, but the fact that he's a decent a uh, decent enough free throw shooter at about 71%. And again, it's it's really only the shot with him. It gives me a, a real degree of optimism. Let's jump over to Kalel Ware. Uh, Kalel Ware, on the other hand, and this is, I'm, I'm with 30 Dancer on this one. I think Kalel Ware can get a little bit more love than maybe he should as an athlete. But let's, let's kind of start from square one here. Kalel Ware has a very weird season at Oregon last year, right? He's 
good in some games and other games he's not so good but his minutes are up and down it's one of those things where he was clearly frustrated but it was also like yeah i'd be frustrated too his his role kept getting jerked around and changed on a game by game basis uh this year he transfers to indiana and like he's unequivocally the guy on indiana someone should tell the guards on indiana that because there's a lot of games i've watched this year where he has a stellar first half and then they just stop giving him the ball uh it would be great if the guards were aware of the fact where is the guy on Indiana? <laughs> they have some of the worst high major guard play I have watched this year. Um, but he is he's had a great week. He had uh 23 and 10 against Iowa, 25 and 11 against Penn State. Um, let's start with the good, and then we'll get to some of the concerns. I think Kalal Ware has a good awareness around the rim on defense. It seems like this year he has been much more in tune. Uh, especially in pick and roll play. Like he's not losing his man as much, Um, but even on other plays where he has to come over to help or someone's driving and he kind of knows when to leave his man um, and and try to affect those shots around the basket. I do think Kalel Ware has done a much, much better job of that sort of thing. I think with Kalel Ware, the other thing uh, that's really set out as an improvement area is the passing. Uh, He wasn't a bad passer. Even like in high school, he had his moments, but this year he has a positive assist to turnover ratio he is getting doubled or he's at the elbow or he's going into a post step. He's seeing his shooters and finding them as they get open. Um, back to the defense real quick. I love his length as well. He's a guy that I think will measure really well when combine time gets here, uh, just so long and able to get to so much as a result of it um, on offense as well. I think he's, he's done a better job of going up strong. Um, I, I think that was something that he could struggle with at times last year. It felt like, the fact that he was skinny was more of an issue a year ago than it is now. Um, I love the jump shot with Kalel Ware. It, it's low volume, but he's like 44.4% from three. Sub 70% at the line, which I mean, some people are going to quibble about. I think if you leave that guy open at the top of the key, you're making a mistake. And I think with, with some of the passing upside, like that's where you can really get interested and sold on Kalel Ware is he is a seven footer who has these defensive instincts around the rim who can really shoot who can make some nice passes um and like it it shows up in like the mid-range too i some people get really excited about the mid-range shots that he makes for me it's it's kind of like when pj hall makes those shots like it's fine but that's just not what you're going to do at the next level like i'm not reading too much into that i'm more leaning into like what are the big things that you can do when you're not the star of your team um and i think he does some really good things in that respect i Still think he should be a better shot blocker and protector than he is. He has a 5.7 block rate right now. So for historical context, if I go to guys who were loosely considered like bigs or like guys who played the center position in college, it's a lot more like power 40, 40 kind of guys that we get in this range. It's more like your seven footers in this category are like a Nas Reed. Um, it's a lot, and like Jared Allen was like one of these guys too, but it's a lot more like Santi Aldama, Obi Toppin, Jalen Williams, like Zeke Naji that are like sub six kind of block rate guys in college. And with Kalel Ware, it's a little more frustrating too because his defensive role is unambiguous. Like he is to be their rim protector on the defensive end. Um, he can jump and he is long. I think the biggest thing that gets him into trouble is that Kalel Ware is a big-time load leaper. Every leap from Kalel Ware 
is like when you are on the seventh grade basketball team and one of the kids touches the rim for the first time. So then everyone is jumping and trying to touch the rim. Like he jumps like that on a lot of plays. He goes down deep, deep, deep before he explodes up. And because he's not as fast off the floor, there's a lot of shots that end up going over him. And that's something I'd like to kind of see him refine because I do think instinctually he is night and day ahead of where he was a year ago. And I think that there's reason to believe he'll keep getting better on that front. I do want to see him be a little bit lighter. I think he's always going to be at a strength disadvantage at the next level, um, which I think gets misunderstood because I think a lot of times people will be like, oh, well, yeah. And well, a lot of guys struggle against like Embiid and Jokic. And it's not just that, like your run of the middle NBA center will be a lot stronger than Kaloua at the next level. And I don't know that he's like a great enough mover um, that I feel really good about him in more of like a switching scheme or anything like that. So I think he's fine in space. I think the rim protection needs work. And I think he has strength issues. Um, I just remember that. And, and I keep getting a little bit hung up on the report from Jonathan Gavoni from a year ago, where he was saying that basically the Intel was going to be bad. And that was like part of why where went back to school. I'm, I'm very roughly paraphrasing. So don't aggregate this and don't say that I'm saying that that's what Jonathan Gavoni said. Cause I'm, very roughly paraphrasing. Um, but when you add all these things together, it, it does give cause for concern. I, I do think he's better this year. Um, but just like the shot blocking issues, the fact that he's like an average rebounder, he's going to have these anthropomorphic issues that, that scale up at the next level. I'm not quite sold on Kalawar. Like if I was a team with multiple picks, like, I, yeah, sure. Like I take him in the first round, whatever. Um, and I, I don't blame anyone that is a little bit more sold than me on the offensive skill. I'm just not like completely wowed by any one aspect of his game other than like shooting for his size. Um, and I'm not, I'm just not like fully bought into him uh, at this stage in the process. Now that could change. Um, we'll see how these next couple of weeks play out, how the free draft process unfolds. Um you know, what, what kind of reports come out of Indiana because it does seem like he is really bought in and he's worked hard to improve. Um, but yeah, I, I just can't get all the way there with Kalel where just yet we're going to take a break as all. And just as a reminder, if you are uh, in the chat, feel free to leave comments here. We will uh, gladly answer any questions that you guys have going on here. And I will be right back on the other side of this break. All right, so let's talk about Kwame Evans. I am writing a co- I wrote a column that's going to be out by the time a lot of you guys are reading this. And I went to war for Kwame Evans because Kwame Evans rocks and he's awesome. And when I see big boards that don't have him in the top 100, I get really upset because I personally have Kwame Evans in my top 25 right now. I think Kwame Evans is great. Uh, Kwame Evans is a six foot nine freshman from Oregon. And yeah, he's kind of in a similar situation where Kalel Ware was. His minutes are getting jerked around. He's getting put on the bench behind older players. But I think unlike Kalel Ware, I think he's been a massive, massive positive. And I think he's he's kind of been undeniably good as a freshman where Ware, you know, he'd have really good games, but there were also games where he he wasn't great. And again, I don't blame Kalel Ware for that. I would have been... I, <laughs> it, man, if I had been in this spot like that a lot of these guys are when they're 18, 19 years old, who boy... Oh boy, it would not have been good. So uh, as always, I'm not, I'm not dogging any of these guys. Uh, 
But Kwame Evans, I think, has been really good and really impactful in all of his minutes that he's gotten this year. And I think he is the kind of developmental bet that an NBA team should be looking to make here, especially if I'm a team with multiple picks. Dirty Dancer in the chat here pointing out playing for Dana Altman as a big is a choice. Uh, this is something that we've discussed within within the No Ceilings Collective over here is there are certain coaches and certain programs where it just seems like it's really hard to carve out a role or get properly utilized. And Oregon over the last couple of years has had a lot of guys that seem to, to fit that bill. Uh, it's been very frustrating to see from the outside. But let's get into Kwame Evans. So the first thing that I like about Kwame Evans. Big swig of the seltzer there. Non-alcoholic, of course. I, I'm i an old man. I'm a father. <laughs> if I have one beer at this stage in my life, I'd be in big trouble. So always keeping it non-alcoholic over here. Um, Kwame Evans is a really good defender. Um, 3.8 steal percentage, 6.6 block rate. What I love about Kwame Evans on this end is, first off, his hands are really fast. He does an exceptional job of tracking the ball. And a lot of these steals come from tipping passes. A lot of these blocks come from turning guys away. Uh, in the mid range, just because they'll have his hand down and somebody's handle, they pull up, bam, the hand is right there and he's turning that shot away. Um, but also he has a really good uh, level of just feel and anticipation, whether it's jumping a passing lane, nabbing a steal that way, swatting a shot at the basket um, after a rim rotation. He's there. He's not a phenomenal athlete. Like he's not, he's not Julian Phillips, right? Like a guy from a year ago who, you talked to people that saw him throughout the pre-draft process and they were like, Whoa, like I, I people were blown away by how good he looked uh, when they got to see him, you know, in those three on threes, those empty gym workouts, like Julian Phillips was an athlete athlete. Kwame Evans. Isn't that he's not going to go to the combine and, and, you know, break the vertical test or blow anybody away with his shuttle run time. But I do think for six foot nine, he moves really well. He's fluid. His hands are fast and it's all functional enough that he's going to create positive results on the defensive end of the floor. He's played some five for Oregon this year. I don't think that's going to be his role at the next level. I think he is purely a four um, at the NBA level, at least until the shot changes. And then maybe you can get cute with it and play him at the three in a jumbo lineup. If you're a team like Utah. Uh, But I think he's a four. I I think the strength issues kind of prevent him from being a five. Um, and that's kind of one area where he struggled on defense is bigger guys have been able to push him around. But I think that he's a guy that you're going to be patient with. So the fact that he's not NBA strong right now is fine. Because if you're drafting Kwame Evans, you're probably sending him to the G League for a year just to kind of get some seasoning on him. Uh, but he is one of five uh, high major freshmen with a BPM over four this season. And generally, uh, as I note in the article, if you are that good defensively and you're 6'8 or above, typically go on to have a good NBA career if you aren't like a horrific offensive player. It's like if you have an OBPM over two, um, you're generally a solid NBA player. There are exceptions. There's your Mike Watkins. Uh, you could argue that, uh, you know, Jonte Porter is probably more injury related. Ethan Happ was just not an NBA athlete. But otherwise, you look at that list, guys that did that as high major freshmen. It's Derek Lively, Miles Turner, Jaron Jackson, Joel Embiid. Mo Bamba, Carl Towns, Jackson Hayes, Wendell Carter, Onyeko Kongwu, Evan Mobley. Like these are the boxes that, that Kwame Evans is checking. Um, and I think for that reason alone, the fact that we're like not really discussing him as a draft prospect, a lot of places is kind of maddening because if I'm a team that uh, if I can get Kwame Evans on the, the Jordan Walsh four year guarantee, second round deal, sign me right up. 
offensively, he's a really sharp passer. Uh, his assist rate right now is uh, is right around 12, um, 1.5 assists per game to 1.1 turnovers. Here's what I love about Kwame. He is a high field player. And that's, that's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. But I think what separates Kwame is there are guys who like, if it's an up and down game and they're in transition, maybe they can show a little bit more as passers. Maybe when it's like freewheeling and everything is kind of chaos, they can, they can thrive in that environment for other guys. It's the opposite. Other guys like need a set offense. They need to have a premeditated read. They need to know I swing it here. I make the next pass here. This player is going to cut here. And that's when I deliver them the ball. Kwame Evans can do both. Um, when it is a set offense, he knows the play. He knows where guys are going. He can hit them at the right times. But when things get a little bit chaotic, uh, when the defense is scrambling and rotationally, you kind of have to read what off-ball defenders are doing and find the right guy in the perimeter to kick the ball to. Kwame Evans can do that too. Um, he's more than just a system player, and he's more than a guy who can make the right read when things are a little bit chaotic. He's both. Um, so again, looking at the numbers and looking at the historical data, over the last decade, only 11 high major freshmen have stood over 6'8 with an assist rate over 10 at a 1.3 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. Seven of those guys were first round picks. Uh, the one that wasn't was Amir Coffey. Uh, so that makes up eight of them. Of the remaining three, you've got Alex Caravan and Harrison Ingram. Both of those guys look like they could get drafted this year. Probably, maybe not first round, but drafted. And Stefan Mitchell uh, from Boston College of 2018 is like the only guy who never made it to the NBA. Kwame Evans is doing NBA player stuff. And he's not getting talked about as a this year guy. Um, and Kwame Evans, I think, has better athletic indicators than, than Harrison Ingram and, and Alex Caravan do. But I digress. Uh, putting the ball in the basket. Uh, Kwame Evans has done a really good job on the offensive glass this year. He's solid on the inside despite his frame issues. And the big question is the jump shot, right? 28.8% from deep. Uh, but you can't leave him alone. He's he's 11 for 20 on his unguarded catch and shoot three. So if you're going to say, oh, well, you know, he's a non-shooter right now, you can ignore him. He's a little better than that. Um, what he needs to improve upon is his release point. Right now, the apex is pretty low. He starts to go into what I will call his release motion right around his face and at that point, once he gets to his face and his forehead specifically, his arm motion goes equally up and out. So instead of going up with a nice high release that you can shoot over a closeout, it is equally up and out, making it easier to contest and get into the ball. As a result, he's three for 28 on those kind of shots. It's easier to get into. He gets a little bothered by it. Sometimes he speeds it up when guys are closing out hard on him. That needs to change. Still, uh, Evans is an 82.2% free throw shooter. Um, and last year across the EYB on high school play, he was a 21.2% three-point shooter. So to see the 7% uptick uh, in a situation where, you know, he's scaling up in competition, I can live with that. Um, I, to me, that that's a positive. That's That's an upward trajectory that he's on. Let's talk about some other guys in this mold. Long guys, high field guys that have size on them that struggle to shoot the ball. Last year, Ryan Rupert, Julian Phillips, and Jordan Walsh all went in the second round. 
I would argue for every single one of them, the reason that they didn't go higher was because their three-point shooting percentage and their three-point shooting volume. Ryan Rupert took 2.3 a game and shot 23.4% from three. Jordan Walsh took two a game, 27.8% from three. Julian Phillips, 1.4 per game, 23.9% from three. So already, Kwame Evans is a better shooter than these three gentlemen at the college level. This year, all three of these guys are playing in the G League for the most part. And they are all shooting a much higher volume and a much higher percentage from the three-point line. Repair up to 4.2 a game, 36.7%. Julian Phillips, small sample, but 4.4 a game, 47.5% from three. Walsh is nearly tripled his volume up to 5.8 a game and making 35% of them. It seems as if, and now granted, we are talking a small group of players, but it seems as if you come into the G League or an NBA program and really the only thing you've got to work on is the shot. If you're coming in with size, with feel, the ability to defend, and it's, hey, let's get this jump shot up to speed. Those kind of players are making those strides in the G League. And I feel like if we did a 2023 redraft right now, and I, I hate the early redraft. I want to give it some time. But I feel like if you were to do one now, and you see how Jordan Walsh is shooting the ball, how Julian Phillips is shooting the ball, how Ryan Repair is shooting the ball, those guys all probably go a bit higher just based on that. And I wonder if Kwame Evans goes back to school, are there going to be teams that were sitting at the end of the first round thinking, man, we should have promised Kwame Evans. I wonder. Because with Kwame Evans, people can get a little bit, oh, it's complicated. You know, oh, he's got to figure out the shot. Ah, oh, his minutes are kind of up and down. Ah, oh, he's playing the five, but the NBA is probably a four. But here's the thing. He's six foot nine. He's smart. He's selfless. He plays with toughness. He's got the frame to get bigger. And these guys that only need the jump shot seem to be able to put it together in the G League. So in one hand, maybe it is a little bit complex of, a, of an evaluation. On the other hand, maybe Kwame Evans is just a first round pick. So that does it for the Kwame Evans talk. Let's move on to Jerron Holmes. So my mid-major game of the week this week uh, was not much of a game at all. <laughs> it was uh, it was Dayton versus George Washington. And uh, man, it was a beatdown. Uh, Dayton won by 22 points. And it wasn't particularly close at any point. Uh, and Jerron Holmes was a big part of that. The stat line is going to look body especially on offense right 25 points four assists uh 25 points on nine of 13 shooting seven for seven at the free throw line right like obviously a great offensive game what made this game a blowout win for dayton was drawn Holmes's defense uh had two blocks in this game nothing crazy 12 boards um but holmes holmes is really good on defense so let's Let's kind of start with the Duran Holmes evaluation and, and, and kind of what I think people are held up on. So on these most recent boards, I drawn Holmes 43. I think Duran Holmes is a guy that uh, is worth an early second round pick, worth a guarantee um, in that part of the draft. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit. 
but I, I think a lot of people are sagging on Duran Holmes. And I, th- I think there's a couple reasons for it. I think the first is that uh, if you go back to G League League camp in the NBA combine last year, Duran Holmes did not measure well. Duran Holmes measured at six foot nine with like a seven one wingspan and like a nine one standing reach off the top of my head. I don't have those numbers in front of me, uh, but he didn't measure great. He's always been skinny. Like he's like 220 pounds, which is more with like Christian Brown, I think is like 225. You know what I mean? So like he, he weighs more with like a forward or a wing weighs right now than a center. And the measurements are great. And like there are moments in that, that game where if they had a true big on him, if Holmes is inside, a true big can bump him off his spot. Um, and I think that's part of it. Is it just like on a physical measurement strength level, NBA teams look at him, they're like, ah, you know, I, I wish he was bigger. And I also think that like his versatility can get used against him in some ways where like there's all these different ball screen coverages he can play and he can switch. He can, he can drop, he can show, he can hedge, he can like, he can do everything in a ball screen. And I think some teams look at that and they're like, I wish teams like don't do that many ball screen coverages generally. Like generally there's like, we are playing drop or we are switching and that is kind of it. Um, so I think with Duran teams are like, well, what, what is he, what's the one he's, he's best at. And I think that's a, kind of a narrow minded way of approaching it. Um, instead of saying like, yeah, this, he can do multiple things and that should be appreciated. Um, I think that kind of throws teams off. Duran Holmes has been unbelievable. <laughs> this season. Um, I think the defense has gotten better and I think where it shows up is just how big he plays all the time. Like in this game, I, I'm confident with Ron Holmes and drop. I think you could switch with him. Um, but man, like you would not know that the measurements aren't great based on how big he played in this entire game. Like George Washington could not get anything inside or around the basket because of how big Holmes is making himself, how well he was man- monitoring his man, how much he was taking away from the ball screen operator. Like it was tough for teams to get where they wanted uh, in, in both games this week. Cause against St. Bonaventure yesterday, he had another big one, he had four blocks in that game. Um, but yeah, he's now proven to be like a legit drop covered shot blocker. He's got a 7.9 block rate this year. Um, and he's like holding opponents to a low percentage around the rim. Opponents are shooting 37% at the rim against Ron Holmes this season, which is a, that's a big time number. Uh, and I mentioned this when I wrote about Ariel Hipporti earlier in the year, like one of the easiest ways to just like identify, like, is a guy capable of playing in the NBA? It's just like, do they finish at the rim? Well, and do they stop guys at the rim? Well, and like, he's one of those guys, like that is a, a big time defensive number. Like generally you're talking guys that hold opponents below 44 ish percent. There tend to be really good, uh, like really solid at the very least drop centers in the NBA. And he's there. Um, love to see that from him. I think the other thing about Duran that has really popped recently, especially is the rebounding. He has been a much better rebounder this season. Part of it last year was I think Jumani Kamara just like gobbled up a lot on the glass. And I, I think a lot of that is just Kamara being Kamara and being like a six foot eight hyper athletic dude in a smaller conference and being able to feast on the glass. Um, but Holmes this year over the last 13 games is averaging 9.2 rebounds per game. So I think there was previously this knock of like, oh, well, like Holmes, like you need to put somebody else next to him. It's a big time rebounder. I don't know that that's necessarily true anymore. I think Duran has played a lot tougher and a lot more physical on the glass, especially the offensive glass. 
Um, and when he gets an offensive board too, he keeps the ball high, which I love, like just makes it easy putback opportunity every single time. Uh, he's gotten way better on the board. So now we're talking about good rebounder. And this is the big thing with me. Jerron Holmes to me always used to be a guy that could pass. Uh, like he was a center who made good passes from time to time. He was a capable passer. Now Jerron Holmes is like genuinely a great passer. Like he is got a, an assist rate of 20. He's got the best assist turnover rate of his career at 2.6 to 2.1. He is a real deal facilitator and he can make those sharp, like I got the ball in a short roll kind of situation and I can hit that open man. He's got that. But what I thought really stood out, especially in that George Washington game was the place where he was patient, where he would get the ball in that sort of a setting. And instead, ah, you know what? Maybe I'm going to take a second. All right. I'm going to survey. I'm going to put it on the deck once. All right. There's my guy. Like when he, Instead of trying to make the cool pass a lot of the time, Duran is now making the right pass a lot of the time. He is a phenomenal facilitator as a big man. So where we're at with Duran now is we have a guy who is rebounding better, protecting the rim, scheme versatile defender, done a really good job as a finisher. Again, like basically at or around 60% from the field every year. He's starting to space the floor too. He's taken almost two and a half threes a game, making 40% of them. He's got this like reliable mid-range shot. You can run handoffs with him. You can run zooms with him. If a guy sags, he can pull it. Um, He's really just a big guy that does a little bit of everything. And I think instead of getting hung up on like, oh, well, you know, what's, what's, what's the one thing that he does? It's like the guy just does a lot of stuff really well. And when I look around the league and a lot of like the third center options on a lot of these teams, I'm a lot more interested in, in Jerron Holmes than a lot of them. He's got to get stronger, sure. But like, if Jerron Holmes gets stronger throughout the pre-draft process, I think we're talking about a guy that could sneak into the first round. Like, Jerron Holmes has been awesome. And I'm tired of seeing him like outside of the top 60 places. Because I think at this point in time, with what he's doing as a facilitator, as a scorer, as a rebounder, as a defender, and just like how many different things he can do, like, I just don't think that there's anything an NBA team could throw at him where he's like, I don't know how to do that. And that matters. Like just the high level of competence, I think puts a really firm floor on Jerron Holmes that a lot of players in this draft do not have. Um, And I think if he gets stronger, then you're looking at like a real deal, good rotation, like 20 minute a game kind of guy, at least. Uh, So Jerron has been a big riser for me recently. Uh, I am a big fan of, of his game and what he's shown over the last couple of weeks. We are going to take one final break. Uh, we're going to be back on the other side here. If you guys want to throw sleepers at me uh, during this segment in the comments, feel free to do that. Uh, we're going to talk Igor Milicic Jr. and the best Xavier Johnson in college basketball on the other side of the break. All right, we are going to wrap it up with the sicko session. I want to talk first about a guy I wrote about for No Ceilings Plus this week. Uh, so I've been doing this column, Spreadsheet Sleepers, where I look at guys that fit different molds and different archetypes um, of player that I think could be worth monitoring or should be worth monitoring going forward. Uh, one of the players I wrote about this week also made his first appearance on my official big board earlier this week. That is Igor Milicic Jr. out of Charlotte. He is a six foot ten junior who does a little bit of everything. 
Uh, he is, so for this article, I focused on what I called high competence players, where I looked at, at spreadsheets and basically said, who are the guys that do the most important things for their position well? So for forwards and wings, there was a lot of stuff. We're talking, you got to have a good three-point percentage. You got to have a good three-point volume. You got to have the requisite steal and block rates. You got to be able to rebound. You got to be able to pass. You got to can't have a negative assist turnover ratio. A lot of stuff. Igor Milicic Jr. checked all those boxes, and I went into the film, and oh boy, this is a 6'10 man that can move. Uh, let's talk defense first. 4.1 block rate on the year. Uh, 1.5 steal percentages. Number is kind of similar to guys like Delano Banton and Nasir Little during their college careers. Um, moves his feet well, uh, but has a real toughness to him. And I think the best game to watch, if you're interested in him defensively, is the game against Duke where he blocked four shots. One of them, Mark Mitchell drives at him. He slides at him, moves his feet well, turns him away around the block. Another play, Kyle Filipowski's got to run away to the rim. My guy Igor slides in the way, leaps up and turns him away uh, with a block at the rim. There's a good level of strength here. He's probably 220 pounds already. Um, but yeah, just a guy who can who can move and has some real toughness to do some stuff on the interior too, which is what I want out of a guy that's six foot ten. But I do still feel confident in him moving his feet with NBA forwards and wings. Um, the connected feel is solid as a passer, like it wasn't anything mesmerizing, but it was the right kind of pass to throw, can find the open man. Uh, the shot is good. Uh, 37.4% from deep on the year, 9.4 a game. Eerily similar to Dorian Finney-Smith as far as percentages and volume in college. Um, what I like about Igor is that he can move into a shot. He's not one of these guys that you just park in the corner uh, or that you leave unattended or, or whatever, and he can make those. Igor can move into a shot. Seven for 17 in transition. Three for eight is a pop man. Three for seven coming off of screens. 87.1% free throw shooter. Six, 10 guys that shoot don't grow on trees. Uh, and six, 10 guys that can like do other things on the court other than shoot don't grow on trees either. I like Milicic. I would be strongly considering drafting him. Uh, I've, got, I've got him around 78, which is one of those things where it's like, by the time guys go back to school, I, I consider drafting him uh, in a class like this. Uh, typically guys his size with his just like sort of general level of production, at least get a summer league invite. Uh, so consider him definitely for next year. But if he were to go in this year, yeah, it warrants, warrants draftable consideration in, in my eyes. Um, going to take some from the chat real quick here. Uh, Brandon Carlson. Uh, so I, a column I've talked about, maybe I'll end up doing it at some point. Um, but being the guy who does like the Portsmouth preview, maybe not. We'll see. Um, was I talked about like, Internally, we talked a little bit about like uh, Demoy Hodge last year was a guy who was older, like 25, but still got a two-way. Like who were the Hodge candidates for this coming year? And and I think Carlson could be one of those guys. Brandon Carlson at Utah is a seven-foot center. He is skinny. Like, yeah, basketball reference has him at 215. Um, but boy, can he shoot. Like he's one of those guys where I think the percentage, yeah, 34.4% from three, but like hit some real deal NBA level threes. Um, it's going to be tough for him to get drafted because of the age, but he really moves well, like sets his feet. The shot prep is gorgeous. Another guy who can move into it. Got a nice like turnaround shot uh, in the post, but also just like a guy who gets up really easily for dunks has these good instincts as a shot blocker gets up the floor really easily 
I like him a lot. Yeah, Dirty Dancer says not much of a difference between him and Hunter Tyson. Like, I can kind of see that. Um, I wish I felt better about the lateral agility. Like, if if he slid his feet well and had the steel numbers, and I felt like you could play him at the four, I'd feel a little bit better about it. But Brandon Carlson's a guy I could easily see like going to Portsmouth and just lighting it up, and people being like, you know what, I'm gonna set the H to the side and give him a two way. I think he's at least getting an E10. Um, but yeah, really, really talented, uh, big man, uh, Jane Ledee, uh, I wrote a big thing about earlier this year, my thing with Ledee and why I would, if I was giving out E10s, I'd lean Carlson, uh, over Ledee. Um, is it generally the guys that stick as older prospects are guys that really shoot the ball. Um, Ledee's at 38.7% from three this year. He was never a guy that really shot before this season. But he was always a 70 plus percent free throw shooter, which makes it kind of interesting. Like, all right, well, maybe it's just kind of a late blooming thing. It's coming along later. Um, from a body and physicality standpoint, a whole lot to like. Like, just looks and moves like an NBA power forward at 6'9, 245. Uh, good rebounder, potent on the offensive glass. Uh, it's tough to know what to make of the role because, like, if he's in the NBA, you're probably just like having him act as like a pick and roll big man or like a dunker spot guy. Uh, where at San Diego State, at least earlier in the year, I haven't circled back on him much recently. He was kind of like a post-step guy a lot of the time, like mid-post elbow kind of stuff. Passing isn't great. Negative assist turnover guy, but defensively like strong enough to hang with anybody, light enough on his feet that I don't worry about him in space. Um, I like Jaden Ledee on, on an E10, um, but he's going to be like an older 25. Uh, Honey Bredger 13 throws that Xavier Lee has me watching uh, Princeton more. He's a, he's a real player and a real prospect, a guy that um, definitely warrants real attention. He's a sophomore breakout candidate, did uh, did some work with one of the Canadian national teams this offseason and just came back a, a different player. Um, I've been told he's a legit 6'3 by someone who works uh, on, on a training level with him. Very athletic kid uh, also, um, especially for a mid-major guard. Like has a 2.4 block rate, like can really get up. Sees the floor well. Yeah, two to one assist turnover ratio, 73% from three. Love the wiggle. Um, love the the vertical pop. Uh, love how he explodes off the floor. The shot looks good. Great free throw shooter. Takes care of the ball, rebounds. Like just all the things you want from a quote unquote smaller guard. Um, the thing for him is just going to be, I think, filling out his frame. Uh, if he does transfer up, I think he's probably ready to play at like any high major school um i i do worry a little bit about the physicality with him i think that's like the one thing that like if he does have i don't want to say a setback year but like you look at a kid like walter clayton at florida when he transferred up from myona and like the the athleticism just does not quite look as good at florida as it did with iona i think lee could experience something a little bit similar where like once he's bumping into those bigger bodies, he's not elevating as well. I, I think that's kind of my concern for him scaling up. Uh, and then uh, Mumsilovich uh, from Iowa State is brought up here as well. Mumsilovich, I, Mon Mumsilovich, I, I like. I wish I was like fully sold on him because I love tall shooters. Like tall shooters, one hundred percent are my type. Um, I just feel like he's a bad rebounder. The defense is fine. Like he knows what he's doing. He's not the worst mover in the world. Not a poor decision maker, but not like a great one. Like, I, I don't know. Am I just getting like 
slightly better Davis? Like, am I getting Davis Bertans, or is there like more to it than that? He's got some really, like really cool mid post stuff too. But I, I just have a hard time getting excited about him as more as as anything more than like a gadget player, I guess, at the, at the next level. Um, keep throwing those sleepers at me if you've got any more. I'll get to them. But I'm gonna hop over to another guy covered for spreadsheet sleepers earlier in the season. Southern Illinois, Xavier Johnson. My goodness, this kid rocks. Uh, he is going to be older. So I know people are going to say, oh, you know, he's going to be like 24 and a half and he's six foot one. Uh, look, I am Mr. I don't believe in any small guards. I got a little bit of belief in Xavier Johnson. I would love to get him on an E10. He is a nasty scorer. 23.5 points per game. 44.8, 40.9, 89.9 shooting splits. True three-level scorer. Really elevates in the mid-range. Can finish above the rim. NBA range, logo range. Off the pull-up, off the catch. And vastly improved. This is a guy who was at George Mason for three years and like was fine. Scored seven points per game at Southern Illinois last year. And now is one of the top scorers in the country. Uh, really, really great. Uh, and tremendously, tremendously improved in this lead role. Uh, after Marcus Damask transferred out. Um, he is an interesting passer. He's got a reel in the turnover, so he's a little over-adventurous sometimes. But again, this is his first time in like the lead re- lead role. Uh, but, I mean, you you look at his usage, he's got a 34.6 usage rate and a 40.6 assist rate to only a 15.5% turnover percentage. So yes, he is turning it over. But the burden on him is outrageous. He's doing everything for the Salukis this year. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to pull for my Illinois guys. Uh, but with, with Xavier, uh, there's some good live dribble stuff in there. There's some just great recognition. There's some creativity and transition that shows up. Uh, he can he can really move the ball. So I like what he does as a passer. And he because he's so athletic, he's a really good defender. Like great good hands, great north-south burst, can really explode forward, um, moves well laterally. Not like super skinny either which is good so he's a guy that like look i i know it's southern illinois and like the missouri valley is like a a real conference like it's a it's a solid mid-major league um and he's lighting it up i i really think he deserves more consideration i know there's a stigma against smaller guards and especially smaller guards coming from mid-major programs i hope he at least gets in for workouts uh, we've got this one from Casey here. Micah Han locked in transfer to Florida. Rebounds out of position. Lob threat. Uh, thoughts on him? I like Micah a lot. I, I like Micah Han locked in a lot. He was uh, a player I covered during my No Stone and Turn series this past offseason uh, coming out of Marshall. So I've, I've been on this train. Uh, Han locked in is really big and he's got awesome touch. Like he's a guy that he's skinny, so he gets bumped around, but he'll grab an offensive rebound and guys will like push him back. And he's still just with like the softest touch in the world, just eases the ball right into the rim. I, I, I love how he shoots. Um, and I think he's a guy that has a chance to stretch the floor because that even if the free throw percentage has been rough this season, free throw percentage has got to get better. He's sub 40 at the line this year uh, after being around 54 last year. Does knock down the occasional jumper. Um, nice recognition as a passer too, like not 
mesmerizing uh, assist numbers, but knows what he's doing. And then he has that gigantic length around the basket. Physically, he's got to fill out. I think that's the big thing kind of holding him back. That's why the block rate is down this year as opposed to last year at Marshall. But just does such a good job of getting into so much uh, with his length. I know he had an ankle injury earlier in the year as well. Um, but just a really impactful player, uh, a savvy player, a guy who knows what he's doing out there. Uh, pro pedigree, I believe his father uh, had a cup of coffee with the Jazz uh, and was also an overseas pro. So really interested in Micah Hemlockton uh, as time goes on. Um, tough for him to kind of get a bigger role in this sort of team like that just has a million miles to feed. And that was something that when I wrote about him for No Son in Turn was something that I mentioned with him. Uh, but I do think he's a, a really talented player. Uh, so Cosmo asking who we're talking about right now. We're talking about Micah Hemlockton. I'll take one more. If anybody's got one more sleeper, I see Hanson, Hanson Yang getting thrown around. I have not done enough on him uh, to kind of feel confident laying out my eval at this point. Pell Larson uh, is a name that gets brought up. I like Pell. That man, I need him to shoot faster. I, I think I've got him like just on the cusp of the second round or right around there. I like how he defends. I love how tough he is. I love how sturdy and strong he is. He rebounds. Passes exceptional at seeing the four on the go. Good finisher gets up better than you might think. He has a deadly pump fake, but the reason the fake is so good is because it takes him eight and a half seconds to get the ball out of his hands on a three. Oh, Cosmo, great one. Drew Pember. I love me some Drew Pember. 2022 no stone on turn class. Uh, he had a huge game for UNC Asheville the other day. Uh, dropped 36 on Winthrop and was six of 11 from three. Uh, Pember is a guy where I worry a lot about the strength because he's really skinny and struggled against some high major schools because of it. Um, like if you look back at last year's games where they played high major schools, he, he kind of got eaten up in a lot of them. Uh, but I think at the NBA level, you're playing him at the four where it's not going to be as big of an issue. Um, I wish he was more dominant as a rebounder. The shot blocking has taken a bit of a dip this year, but he is a really good bouncy vertical athlete. Uh, he is relentless at attacking the rim despite being skinny. So 30, you know, six, 37% from three over the last couple of years, um, on good volume for a big teams close out really hard. Uh, and he's really good at using that gravity to drive to the basket shooting, you know, over eight free throws a game. This season is an 86% free throw shooter and was always an interesting passer. Always a guy who could really do some interesting things in handoffs and zooms. But this year, positive assist turnover ratio, career high 3.5 assists per game to only 2.8 turnovers per game, really being a heliocentric leader for that UNC Asheville team. So Drew Pember is a guy that I think probably gets a Portsmouth invite. Um, probably a four at the next level um, in a like I know I just mentioned Bertons and I promise I'll stop comping tall white dudes that shoot to Bertons. But like, I think that's kind of the role is like spot up shooter, floor spacer who can move the ball. If his thing isn't there. And then also use that fake to, to get downhill and, and make some passes off of it. Pember's a guy I, I kind of got to get back into consideration with. I, I sort of tuned him out. Uh, but a guy that after that 36 uh, point out in the other day, I'm going to go back into the film and, and kind of reconsider and, and kind of reconsider where to place him on my board. So we'll wrap it up right there. Thank you to the chat for getting me through this. I really appreciate you guys kind of hopping in, making the show what it was. Uh, as always, subscribe to No Ceilings. Uh, 
for our daily written content at nocealingsnba.com, no NBA podcast feed. Follow me on Twitter at Boundboards. Check out my Kwame Evans Jr. article tomorrow. Tomorrow we go to war for Kwame Evans. It's probably today by the time most of you are listening to this. But uh, check that out. And uh, yeah, that'll do it. So until next time, see you guys. Peace.